the truth of what you're meant to do here on this earth is similar to like the truth of a amethyst being purple. And that resonance, that vibration that you give off can become more clear when you choose to align to your purpose and to truly allow the divinity of your purpose to speak through everything that you do. That was Andrew Seeley, and I'm Henry Winslow. You're listening to Dharma Talk. Hey, yogis, Dharma talkers. Well, I just named you that. It's official. What do you think of your new name? The way I see it, we're part of a community of yogis who aim to inspire, not just with impressive asanas or beautiful pictures on Instagram. No, through living our purpose, through connecting to our universal and personal dharma. So it's only fitting we have a proper name, right? So Dharma talkers, you talk the talk, but do you walk the walk? I think you do. My guest on this week's show, Andrew Seeley, certainly does. But first, you may have noticed that there's a new sound to the podcast and some refreshed music. Well, that's all thanks to my new friend, Rory Wagstaff of Ease of Mind Productions and Patrick Kiebzak of Momentology. I've brought on Rory to help me from a professional standpoint to produce this podcast at a new level of finesse, new level of polish, and I'm very excited for everything that's to come in the next chapter of Dharma Talk. The new opening track, that banger, is by Momentology, an amazing yogi and musician out of South Florida. I love playing his music in my yoga classes and just when I'm jamming with the headphones, and I couldn't think of a better sound to evoke the feeling of this podcast. So I'm super grateful to Patrick from Momentology for contributing uh, to this project. But now more than ever, I really need your help. I've invested in taking Dharma Talk to the next level, so I need to make sure that it gets out there and makes a difference in the world. So please help me out by subscribing to the podcast if you haven't done so already. Leave a rating and review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, and share the episode with a friend if you enjoy it. Lastly, If you have the financial means to do so, please consider making a donation to keep the project up and running. The project currently runs at a deficit, so I'm doing this out of passion and a desire to serve. Any bit is helpful. You can always make a donation at henrywins.com slash donate. And on that note, I would like to say thank you to my friend Pedro Luna, also known as at Yogi Memes on Instagram and a guest on episode 49 of Dharma Talk for donating last week. Thank you so much, Pedro. You are my podcasting brother, and I so appreciate you contributing to Dharma Talk. Now, Dharma Talkers, before we dive into this week's conversation, first, I have a few announcements for you. Coming up on September 16th, It's a Monday night, 6.30 to 8 p.m. I am teaching a rocket yoga class at Pure Yoga West. Rocket yoga honors the foundations of classic Ashtanga yoga through its emphasis on the Tristana, the three-pronged focus on breath, gaze, and posture. But by breaking free of dogmatic sequencing, the rocket allows room for creativity and variation, challenge and play, self-exploration and progress. So come for that class. It's free for Pure Yoga members or $25 drop-in. And if you dig it, I'm doing a whole weekend of Rocket Yoga at the same studio, Pure Yoga West, October 12th through 13th. To get the details for that event and all my other workshops coming up, head to henrywins.com events. Are you feeling stuck or stagnant? Are you looking for a catalytic experience to ignite radical transformation? Join me and my wife, Veronica Lombo, for an unforgettable retreat designed to ground your body, purify your mind, and expand your connection to consciousness through yoga, sacred silence, and natural immersion. Our week together in Bali will offer you the perfect environment to refocus on what is calling you, your purpose, your perfect path, your dharma so that you can move forward with renewed vigor into growth and service to others. The days will be structured around guided group meditations, vinyasa and hatha yoga classes, 
delicious and clean plant-based meals, of course, and opportunities for free exploration of nature, both outside and within. Come honor your past experience and effort, celebrate where you are now, and lay a pure foundation for the year to come. Clear the space for reconnection to source with us in Bali, December 5th through 11th, 2019. Get the details and make a deposit at henrywins.com slash Bali. Now, Dharma Talkers, let me tell you a little something about my guest on this week's episode of Dharma Talk. Andrew Seeley, at Andrew7Seeley on Instagram, is an embodied heart leader, yoga artist, and connection catalyst. He's known for his transformational teachings of self-love that remind students of their true power for transformation and embodied purposeful living. Andrew's creative approach to teaching yoga as a healing art has earned him the role of guiding celebrity clients, spotlight at conscious music festivals, and the opportunity to lead transformative luxury retreats worldwide. He's known globally as a mindful life enthusiast and a wellness activist. Andrew embodies prolific knowledge while positively influencing and empowering his students. Andrew Seeley's teachings aim to answer the question, how can we adapt to create and evolve to sustain? This conversation just lit me up. Andrew radiates bliss. Those of you who don't know him, you have to check out his work. He's just full of life and it's totally contagious. As with many of the episodes on this show, we start by diving into Andrew's personal yoga journey. We talk about his influences as a teacher and student and some of the surprising serendipities or not so serendipities along the way. For example, the fact that he worked at MindBody as a sales and software associate around the time that he started practicing yoga. How crazy is that? He's also a fellow podcaster. He has an amazing show called Yoga Revealed, which if you enjoy Dharma Talk, I highly encourage you to check out. I'm sure if you like this show, you're going to love his as well. And then our conversation got real deep when we started talking about something that clearly ignites Andrew's soul. We get into taking the plunge to create and share from the heart, even when it's scary and uncomfortable and requires risk-taking. How can we support a lifestyle that is true and authentic to ourselves? When you hear from Andrew and you see all of the beautiful work that he does to inspire others by being himself, it's very clear that by doing so, we give permission to others to do the same. All of this is coming up very soon, but just a reminder that if you enjoy what Andrew has to say, if it resonates with you, go to dharmatalk.show and type in Andrew in the search bar, and you're going to get all of the notes and links from this episode, including Andrew's recommended book and upcoming events. And by the way, did you know I've got a running list of every book ever recommended on Dharma Talk? If you're looking for your next read, head over to henrywins.com books and pick one out. And now without further ado, please enjoy my interview with Andrew Seeley. Andrew, thanks for coming on Dharma Talk. I'm really excited to, to have you on here and to share your wisdom with the listeners. How are you doing today? I'm feeling absolutely great. I feel, you know, refreshed. I had a wonderful evening last night cooking some vegan food for my good friends here in Santa Monica and woke up to a nice light practice. I uh, got some reading done, some journaling, went and got my hair cut and bam, now I'm on the line with you. I'm feeling great, Henry. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good day so far. And something that I did not mention in your bio, um, but is you know personally uh, significant to me is that you were a big resource for me when I was considering going vegan and um, and just someone to bounce ideas off of. And I really appreciate about appreciate that about you. And I know it's something that you care about quite a lot, also. Yeah, definitely. I feel like the vegan movement is just as important as the yoga movement, and. I feel that, you know, us as compassionate beings, we should really be mindful as to what we're putting in our bodies because that's the energy that's assimilated into the energy that we can put out. And um, I feel that when it comes down to it, uh, we're only as good as what we put in so that we can really have that vibrant energy to be able to 
bring into everything that we do, into the art that we create, into the practices that we do, and into the people that we're able to influence. Absolutely. And as I agree that it's an important movement, as important as yoga, I think it's even, um, many would, would agree that it's a part of yoga. These things go hand in hand and are difficult to disentangle. Mm-hmm. But before we uh, talk more about that, first, I ask all of my guests the same opening question. I would love to hear your take on this. What does the word dharma mean to you? And what is your dharma as you understand it today? Definitely. So the word dharma for me means path, purpose, and a true understanding that we're all vessels of light and that when we can truly attune to our nature, that allows us to be a clear vessel of light for divinity to speak through. And I feel that that is the true essence of Dharma is allowing yourself to align uh, to your true nature so that the divinity of light can speak through all that you do. And um, what was the second question? (laughs) Well, I'll, I'll take the bait from your, from your initial answer and follow it up with this question. How do we do that? How do we allow ourselves to be that vessel of light and let divinity speak through? I feel that allowing ourselves to be a vessel of light um, really comes through a devotional practice of allowing your art to be intrinsically connected to your heart. Um, so whether you're a chef and uh, cooking is your favorite thing to do, or whether you're a pro surfer and surfing is your favorite thing to do. I feel that um, the truth of what you're meant to do here on this earth is similar to like the truth of a amethyst being purple. And that resonance, that vibration that you give off can become more clear when you choose to align to your purpose and to truly allow the divinity of your purpose to speak through everything that you do. So it's really uh, taking the time to be mindful. Um, I really find that uh, meditative practice where you're truly tapping into source, um, tapping into that which is clarity, that which brings you a clear intention on your day-to-day, and also cleansing yourself, uh, the cleansing practices of yoga asana. Or um, it could be the cleansing practices of, you know, being an ultra marathon runner or being a triathlete. Um, So really just allowing your mind, your body, your spirit to be attuned to that which is your purpose. Mm. So the the cleansing practice or purification practice in a way allows us, it prepares us for that more receptive practice of meditating and, and listening for the quiet voice the quiet voice exactly. of, the, of the divine whisper. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, that's why I feel so strongly that, you know, really having a daily practice of something that brings you into that space where you're pressing yourself outside of your comfort zone. And when you get that press outside of your comfort zone, it really just allows you to bring yourself back to that resonance, that persistence, that real purpose that drives you to keep going. And I feel that when that happens, that's when you attune to the breath. That's when you become more mindful in your movement. That's when the natural human nature is to become more efficient Mm. in the action. And thus uh, you have that karmic action, that dharmic action that comes out of a place of truly being in alignment with your, your true essence, your vibration, your frequency. You know what else I think happens when you become aligned to the art that you're expressing connected to your heart intrinsically, you know, in your words is you, you have unlimited energy because mm-hmm. it's all driven by passion. Exactly. You know, you the, hit the nail on the head. <laughs> the, the original uh, follow-up question that you said, what was the second part of the question was what is your Dharma as you understand it today? And I, I read off a list of different things that you're known for, but I'd love to hear from your own mouth. You know, what is it? that you believe is your expression of that art connected to your heart? What is, what is most meaningful to you as it relates to Dharma and all of the activities that, you know, Andrew Seeley shows up in the world to do? I feel that my Dharma is to be a positive impact on all environments that I have the opportunity of being a part of. Um, so that means, you know, when I step into a room, how can I positively be of service to those people? When, you know, I'm out in nature, how can I be of positive resonance with the trees, the birds, the bees, everything that's around me? 
Um, so I feel that really my essence is to be of positivity, of, of happiness, of joy. And um, I feel that no matter where I am, if I can bring that sense of happiness, joy, and effervescence to my environment, then I'm doing my dharma. Right on. I love that. Well, let's spin the clock back a little bit. How did you first uh, get exposed to yoga and this way of thinking? I was first exposed to yoga actually by my mom when I was like, I think like 14. She was going to this little uh, yoga shala in Sherman Oaks um, with this man who was basically doing like Kriya yoga. Um, he was a Kriya Bon, uh, basically taught by um, the Kriya yoga system that Pramahansa Yogananda produced. And uh, my mom would go there and she took me once and I was just like, I don't want to go back there again. <laughs> that was weird. Those people are interesting. They're doing all this weird stuff that is weird and they're wearing all white and it's kind of weird. <laughs> <laughs> so that was my first, uh, you know, drop into quote unquote yoga as we know it today. And then I would say that um, my second opportunity to really experience yoga was in college when I was 19. Um, I had an ankle injury. I was sitting on the bench for soccer. A girlfriend of mine who was a tennis player was like, hey, like you got to get up off the bench if you want your body to be open and you don't want your muscles to atrophy. You have to keep your body moving. And uh, she basically just kept offering to take me to Bikram Yoga. And she was like, hey, like if you come with me to Bikram Yoga, then, you know, your body will feel better. And you know, you won't be sitting on the bench and then you'll make sure that your muscles and everything like is actually able to run properly when you get off on the bench. And I was like, okay, well, this makes sense, you know? And so I basically got dragged into my first Bikram yoga class in San Luis Obispo at um, this little slow Bikram yoga, which is, <laughs> it was like literally a hot box on the second story of this place called the Creamery. And um, it was I was completely just frustrated, you know, looking at myself in the mirror, looking at the people next to me, comparing myself to the people around me. And, you know, I'm this 19 year old African American guy inside of a class full of like older white women and a few white guys. And I'm like sitting there, like, you know, basically judging myself, like, why can't I do this? Like I should be able to do this. And I feel like, that sense of uh, ego, you know, I was, my ego was bruised immediately. And I was kind of like, you know, put in a place where I was looking at myself in the mirror and I had to make a decision as to whether to move forward or to be the person who would drop out and, you know, leave the room. And I felt so challenged that I just kept coming back. And eventually I ended up doing a 30 day challenge. And then after that I did a hundred day challenge and I ended up going to Bikram yoga a hundred days straight. And then after that, I really felt the flexibility in my body and I was able to touch my toes in about 90 days of yoga. <laughs> and I was like, wow, like this is actually something that's helpful. My ball control on the soccer field got better. My grades got better. All of uh, the things that I was doing became more mindful and I really felt a difference in my relationships, especially. And that was, I feel like, uh, the, the real determining factor to me continuing my practice of yoga. And at first it was just Bikram yoga. So I would go into Bikram yoga every single day. And I had a part time job over at a, a software company called Mind Body. And Mind Body was the software company that does all the scheduling software for the yoga studios. And, uh, back in, you know, what was that like? Probably like 2000 and, 2011, um, I was basically just, you know, cold calling people on the phone and uh, learning more about how I could present the software in a good way. And so practicing Bikram yoga kind of gave me like speaking points to be able to sell the software to yoga studios. Totally. And, you know, it really kind of grew from there into understanding the core values uh, behind yoga and understanding that there was more out there than just Bikram yoga. And uh, I was getting a lot of sales. And so my manager, who was also a Bikram yoga teacher, decided to take me to the Wanderlust, or not Wanderlust, the Yoga Journal Conference in San Diego. And so um, in 2011, I went to my first yoga conference 
um, at the tender age of 21. <laughs> and I had the opportunity to really see what yoga was other than a Bikram yoga class. And I took my first vinyasa class ever with Dharma Mitra. Um, no way. My manager... Yeah, yeah. My manager was like, okay, like, uh, you can go and take a few classes. She was hanging out with her friend at the booth um, that we were manning in the mind body booth at the yoga journal conference in San Diego. And I was like, you know, what are some teachers that I should go take? Like, who would you recommend? She was like, Oh, you know, you should definitely check out uh, Dharma Mitra. Um, she recommended T.S. Little, uh, David Swenson, and Sharon Gannon, and also uh, Sean Korn. And out of all those teachers, um, I ended up looking at Dharma Mitra's class. Going into Dharma Mitra's class was my first ever non Bikram yoga vinyasa class, and I was just mind blown. Um, you know, he did like his uh, psychic uh, flow and the psychic development techniques. Exactly the yeah. psychic development techniques. I was like, "What? Like this is like a whole different breed of yoga. Like I've never experienced anything like this." Did my first down dog. Watched him do a no-handed headstand, and I was like, automatically hooked. <laughs> um, the class thereafter that I took was David Swenson, um, who's a really incredible Ashtangi. Yeah. And I took my first ever Ashtanga yoga class, and he did the whole mantra in the beginning, and everyone was chanting together, and I didn't know any of the words, and I was sitting there completely mind-blown again. And then after that, I went to Sean Korn's class, and I cried for my first time in a yoga class. And I can still remember it like it was yesterday. Like I get chills just thinking about it, but it was um, a class about yoga activism, and she spoke on, you know, some of the work that she was doing around the world, um, really doing her best to take women um, and children out of the sex trade. And um, at the time, they were working in Cambodia. And it was just like, the fact that yoga could become activism was like a whole entire different field, a different universe that I never even had thought was possible. And um, after that day, I was like, completely overwhelmed with emotions. And I went back to my desk job on Monday and called the local yoga studio, which was the yoga center in Slow, and signed up for my yoga teacher training. And um, had my yoga teacher training with Rocky Heron. And uh, it was absolutely incredible, blew my mind. And it really put me into the space of understanding that yoga could be a healing system to heal trauma, as well as to develop physical abilities and mental abilities and to find focus and your truth and your purpose. And I've been practicing yoga ever since. That's beautiful. Um, there's so many directions that I want to go from there, but I'm going to have to pick and choose. First, I just want to say that um, that's awesome to hear that your initial exposure was Bikram because I'm the same. You know, I got totally hooked onto that practice and had similar relationship <laughs> to you. You know, I, um, I got in there and I took a 30 day challenge and then next thing I knew I was doing a 365 day challenge. So I know, right? how, I know how that goes. <laughs> they um, get you and they're like, but, you know, Bikram is the only yoga. Don't yes. even, oh, that other yoga, it's not good yoga. No, Bikram is the right <laughs> yoga. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Uh, the other thing that I picked up on, which, you know, maybe you're aware of, maybe not, um, was you, you said that you came into your first Bikram class and you felt like you s stuck out like a sore thumb basically and your ego was defeated. Like, why can I not do this when everybody else is? Everybody else is able to keep up and put their head on their on their knee and lock their knees, all of this. But then when you went to the Yoga Journal conference, you might expect to have the same kind of reaction. You know, you were exposed to all these different schools and lineages of yoga, one right after the other. You got like a real survey course in modern yoga. And yet mm -hmm. that time you had a very positive response. Your mind, you said your mind was blown. What do you think that was? Like, why did you, why were you able to see the possibility in that case versus um, self-defeat with the Bikram? I feel like really it was the environment. Um, those teachers hold space for people to come together and yoga at a festival, say like a yoga journal conference or a wonderlust fest is so much more inclusive than say yoga at a studio where everyone frequents and you know, you have your regulars and they're like, Oh, this is my spot near the mirror, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, so, yeah. you know, I was coming into an environment where people practiced um, almost religiously, you know, where there was a deep sense of community 
And um, at a space like a yoga journal conference, it's a festival. You know, it's a it's an opportunity for people from all around the world to come and commune. And that community is built on a deeper sense of inclusion than, say, your normal regular day Bikram yoga studio. <laughs> yeah, or probably any yoga studio for that matter that you know mm-hmm. is in the neighborhood and has its people, its own cross section of the population coming in regularly. Yeah, mm-hmm. that makes sense. Um, also, I wanted to ask you about, you know, you said that after you started practicing yoga regularly, that yes, you, your ball skills on the soccer field improved, but also your grades got better. You got more mindful with your activities and your relationships improved. Were you surprised by that? Oh, certainly. I mean, that was like, that was one of the determining factors to continue because at the time I was not really focused. I I had a lot of distractions. I was in a fraternity. I was, you know, redshirting for the soccer team. I was, you know, doing all kinds of extracurricular drinking activities (laughs) and, um, you know, still trying to keep good grades as a microbiology major at Cal Poly San Luis Obispo, where they tell you when you come in that you should study 40 to 45 hours per week. (laughs) So it's like, uh, you know, I was immediately... Um, put into a place where I needed to find some type of tool to be able to deepen my awareness of self so that I could build the discipline to be able to really progress and be able to produce. And yoga for me was that tool. Right, right. Did you have the mind-body job before you started practicing yoga? It was kind of around the same time. So, um, you know, I started practicing yoga when I was 19 and I got that part-time job the summer of my, I think it was the summer of my, yeah, the summer of my junior year. No, no, the summer of my uh, sophomore year. So I was 20 years old. So the summer, yeah, of 2010. Seems seems awfully serendipitous. The universe conspiring to send you in a certain direction. Oh, and that's what I gotta say is like the universe will speak volumes to you. All you have to do is choose to listen. Right. And and clean your body, clean your mind and and put yourself in a space that you can hear it. Exactly. Exactly. So having been exposed to all these different types of yoga at that point, um, you can skip ahead or continue telling the story, but what does your current practice look like? What is, what does yoga look like in your everyday at this point? Oh, I mean, I'll, I'll kind of give a little uh, foreground just because it's it's been it's been a journey to say the least. Um, I started teaching kind of like these little corporate classes over at Mind Body, and that was like my first opportunity of really getting into teaching. And at that time, I was you know, under the impression that yoga was really meant to help you feel good and open your body and bring you to a space where you could, you know, sit comfortably. And um, from there, my practice began to develop. And I really found my teacher, Rocky Heron, as a means to understanding the depth of how yoga could be expanded into different postures, different asanas, And then I started going to a woman by the name of Jen Bobbitt's class, and she was just like, her practice was next level. And in seeing what was possible, I really began to press myself to understand the asana and to dig deeper into the Iyengar books of, um, you know, light on yoga and light on life and really understood yoga to be more of a life path rather than just a bunch of postures that you do in a class. And understanding more of the the postures as a means to really direct energy. And through the direction of energy, you build forth a deeper resonance of how you can utilize your energy on a day-to-day basis towards the things that you need to do in your regular everyday life. And um, from that, I kind of, uh, you know, I actually started my podcast, The Yoga uh, Revealed Podcast, Um, when I was transitioning from a software gig in Seattle, um, I was living in Seattle for a little bit and I was working for a software company out there. I had transitioned from mind body and I was really looking at, um, yoga 
in kind of like a, where am I going to take this next step of yoga? Like, what do I really want to do? And at that time I found acro yoga, which was bringing communities together, which was really bringing people to a space where they understood what it felt like to bring forth healing touch into their hands and really bring that to another human being. And so acro yoga kind of, uh, sparked my interest in what it would be like to help people heal through yoga. And um, I started going to Mackenzie Miller's class. Are you familiar with Mackenzie Miller? I'm not. So Mackenzie Miller, uh, she was probably like one of the first uh, aloe yoga ambassadors. She's also an incredible teacher out of Seattle. Um, Patrick Beach and I actually used to go to her class together. And she was just like, kind of like one of the first people who's like really teaching uh, mobility and uh, really like deepening the awareness of how the joints and the connective tissue moves. And so I would go to her class often and that really brought forth like this healing um, understanding of yoga and how we could really use yoga as a means to healing. And, and during that time, I was like, you know, I really want to do another teacher training that brings out a deeper resonance as to how do I can use yoga for healing and really bring this into athletes and, you know, soccer players and people who need this on a day-to-day basis. Um, and from there, I really like, I, I saw yoga as a healing system rather than just as a bunch of postures or as a, a, a daily practice of like, you know, trying to get your handstand. I was like, you know, like, how can I heal my body? How can I heal my lower back? Mm-hmm. How can I heal these ankle injuries and these knee injuries that I've had for years? And so it was like an unwinding of my body and a a deeper resonance as to how I could tap in and really use my breath to dissolve tension. And um, I would say from there, I kind of got more into acro yoga as well, because I saw that as a means to help other people dissolve tension. Because when you're supporting another human being on your hands and your feet, and you bring that sense of trust and that connection, it really allows them to surrender into the structure of their body so that they can release the tension. And then you have the opportunity to move their body and to create space in the body that then allows that tension to release. Mm. And so I I really got into acro yoga. I did uh, my acro yoga teacher training um, with Jason Niemer and a team of absolutely epic individuals. And that really brought me to a space where I was like, you know, how can I share this with more people? And, um, a friend of mine called me up and I was still living in Seattle and she was like, Hey, like, I really want you to teach acro yoga. I've been seeing these things you've been doing on Instagram and like, you know, flying these people and doing all this crazy stuff. Like, I want you to teach it at this really awesome, um, gathering slash festival that I'm producing, um, for, you know, working individuals, for people who are in the LA area. And it was going to happen on Catalina Island. Uh, so my friend Heidi produced this festival called the Xanadu Festival, which still goes on today. And I went out there and I taught my first acro yoga class with a good friend of mine, Liz. Um, her name is uh, Liz Crosby. She's an incredible yogi. And it just really brought me to this understanding that I could teach yoga as a means for healing and teach it on a larger scale. And that's what really tapped into, uh, I would say like my creative mind of really making yoga a full-time gig rather than sitting at a computer and doing software Mm -hmm. and, uh, sales engineering and cold calls and all this other stuff that I was doing before. And I was like, I know I'm skilled at this, but if I put my energy towards yoga and towards teaching on a larger scale and teaching people who truly value what I have to offer, then I'm sure that I can make this be a sustainable living. And Ever since then, I've been teaching yoga full time. Super inspiring. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that. Um, I'm not too, you know, well versed in acro yoga. I've barely done any. Only the handful of poses that the Dharma teaches in his classes sometimes at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, but what little experience I have had with it, I can attest to. You know the the healing that comes with surrender. So um, feel free to share your experience on this. But um, you know, you mentioned Mackenzie teaching these physiological mobility type healing classes. Where is, you know, where's your focus when it comes to teaching and healing through yoga between the physical and the, 
let's call it psycho-spiritual with the, the surrender and the trust and all of these traumas that can be embodied. Oh, totally. I, I feel like uh, my, my position in teaching these days is really in offering classes that allow the student to be able to come to a space where they feel comfortable to release trauma. And whether that be, you know, physical trauma from injuries or emotional traumas from, you know, past relationships, I really intend to create a safe space for human beings to transcend trauma, transcend stress, transcend, you know, what's holding them back from being their full version of themselves. And I feel that, you know, whether it be through acro yoga classes at Envision Festival, where, you know, I have everyone massaging one another on the shoulders and really looking one another in the eyes and giving a big hug and introducing themselves in a space of love and support and community to, you know, teaching a private to someone who wants to learn how to handstand because they really want to learn to get over their fear of standing on their hands. And I feel that, you know, really encompassing that, that state of, molding a class to the student really brings us back to the the true definition of yoga which i feel is yolking it's bringing all you know variables of life back into one specific teaching that brings forth a deeper resonance as to how we're all connected and i feel that when we can truly relate to our students and when we can truly see them as a reflection then we can offer from a place of let me help you. Let me bring you to a space where you can actually deepen your awareness of your energy and thus amplify your energy to become the best version of yourself. Mm. So I feel that, you know, that our goal as yoga teachers is really to create classes, create um, opportunities for the students to come to a space where they feel whole. Yeah. Well said. I think the last time that I that I saw you in person was when you were in New York. You you stopped through Lighthouse for a class, and yeah. you were you were in the you were getting ready or in the middle of I'm not sure uh, a training with one giant mind. How yeah? How, what did you pick <laughs> up from from that training, and um, how are you using those meditation techniques these days? Oh my goodness! So that was first off an incredible and transformative experience being in new york in a cold rainy winter um it was it was very challenging california (laughs) yeah i'm I'm a warm person like literally like (laughs) i i go to you know tropical beautiful places where it's warm and there's trees and mangoes and (laughs) rambutans like that's my jam and um in new york we have the bodega Yeah. And, and some pretty parks, I will say, but you know, when there's, when there's snow on the ground and you're walking around and, you know, it was like, it was pretty cold that winter. It was like, it was, it was getting to the, to the 10 degree area, you know? And I was like, Oh my goodness, this is crazy. Like, what am I doing here? But, um, it really put me in a space where I was, um, kind of brought to that introspective space and one giant mind, the, system of meditation taught by Johnny Pollard, who I happened to meet a while back um, before I actually started the training. I interviewed him for the podcast. Um, A good friend of mine, um, Hansa and Claudine, who are the founders of Yoga Beyond, they had reached out to me and they were like, hey, like, you know, our good friend Johnny's coming by uh, Santa Monica and you should totally touch base with him. He's really incredible. So I interview him for the podcast, hear about his journey, hear about, you know, the depth of his, his learning. Like this guy is like a a deep learner. He's got such an incredible mind. And I was just, you know, enthralled by all that he was sharing. And, you know, six months later, he reaches out to me and he's like, you know, I've got this idea. I'm planning on creating a, 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 a yoga teacher training, but for meditation. I was like, wow, this is next level. He's like, you know, have you ever used any of the meditation apps? And I was like, no. And then, you know, like a month passes and my good friend, Josh Blau, who's a a funny Aussie who I absolutely adore. He's like, hey, man, you got to check out like this Headspace app. And then you got to check out One Giant Mind. And so I checked him out. And I'm like one of those people who 
Like I'm only on my phone if I have to be. Like my mm. phone's always on silent. My phone is always like away from me, like in my backpack or like in some jacket pocket. Smart. Because like <laughs> I'm, I'm very like I put it on airplane mode when I go to sleep. Like yeah. there's no notifications. So like if you have my phone number, then you're a lucky human being and you should text me or call me if you have something to say. But otherwise, like I'm not <laughs> I'm not I'm not available because I'm being present <laughs> with the people that I'm with. Good. So yeah. long story short, like I didn't really check out the apps. He was like, yeah, check out these apps. I like opened them once and like listened a little bit. And I was like, yeah, like Johnny Potter's got a nice voice, you know, and then he calls me up and Johnny's like, Hey man, like we're doing this, this app. We want to create this app where, you know, people have the opportunity to really tap into the teachings of meditation. And I want you to be part of the teacher training program and come out to New York and you'll, you get to have the opportunity to really dig deep into this. And I was like, yeah, man, like I love meditating. I meditate every day and this is part of my practice. And I just did meditation from the Iyengar books, you know, like I was just reading about, you know, pranayama and like, you know, taking the time to sit. And that was my basis of meditation. And then when I learned the Vedic meditation practice that Johnny was teaching, it completely blew my mind um, because it was, it was a system. It was something that I could actually tangibly use and do with a group. And we were waking up every single day doing it together Um for you know about a month and a half over in New York and it was just it was like a it was a, a really deep a deep practice that really brought me to the next stage of my yoga practice as a whole because it really brought forth a deeper resonance of what it means to be reflective and also what it means to really tap into the void and then utilize the information that is in that space as information for ascension you know moving forward on your practice and um, I love Johnny Pollard and I love the whole One Giant Mind team. And it was an epic experience to say the least. <laughs> um, that sounds really like a game changer. I mean, has that become your meditation practice personally now? Uh, I would say that on some days I kind of use meditation as a tool for me um, to really tap back into kind of like clarity. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I use meditation for reflection. Sometimes I use meditation for a means to observe nature. Um, so I would say that I use the the Vedic meditation as taught by one giant mind, probably, you know, three to four days out of the week. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do also do other meditation techniques um, that involve pranayama and other uh, more like, kind of like uh, Theravadan like Buddhist techniques as well, like where you're like really like sitting strongly in a position to feel a sensation rise up your spine, like that kind of stuff as well is something that I enjoy. Yeah. Um, just to kind of switch it up, you know, I feel like if we get attached to only one method, then we're not truly adapting. We're not truly allowing ourselves to evolve into the nature of time. And I feel that, you know, different times uh, we have different tools so it's good to have a toolbox full of all these different power tools that you can use at any time to be able to efficiently, uh, you know, solve the problem that's at hand. Okay, this is this is good. Um, you know, I first let me say that I agree with you, but um, I also want to play devil's advocate here uh, mm-hmm. because something that I hear from some people, and this is kind of an ongoing debate out there, is what would you say to the person who says you need to follow one path decisively if you intend to get anywhere on this journey toward liberation, nirvana, um, you know, moksha, whatever you want to call it? Well, then I would say that, you know, I feel that that is completely valid for some people. But the beauty (laughs) of our lives and the beauty of the nature of consciousness is that we're all magical beings with our own completely unique makeup, completely unique experiences. And that means that each one of our paths to moksha, to enlightenment, will probably be unique as well. <laughs> so yeah. if we look at uh, the the means of nature and the, the beauty of chaos, that there's all different types of ways to get to point A um, or point B or point C, And that is the magic of divinity. That's the magic of understanding that each and every one of us is a divinely unique incarnation of source. 
Nicely said. Nicely said. Take me back to one point along your journey, because we've heard a lot of um, beautiful, you know, basically miracles. That's what life is, is a sequence of miracles. But sometimes it doesn't always feel that way. So what was one time that you really struggled either in your um, transition into teaching yoga full time or since then? I would say that the, the, the transition of teaching yoga full time was probably one of the biggest struggles that I've had. And I would say that I'm also experiencing, um, I wouldn't call it a struggle, but I would say a, uh, a challenge currently. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that I have all the tools to be able to overcome it, but I feel like right now we're living in a very pivotal time where we have to truly bring forth a deeper sense of resonance to our communities and how we can all ascend together and how we can all present our art and find a a balance between, um, you know, what we're doing as our art and what we're doing to create profits, to be able to sustain that, which we wish to do. And I feel like, uh, uh, there's a lot of people in my community right here in Venice. We have this really incredible oasis, um, literally has, you know, blossoming Lotus flowers and we host acro yoga jams and we host, uh, breathwork sessions and, all types of different uh, community healing opportunities. And it just happened to close down because, you know, the person who uh, signed the lease uh, got to the point where he just wasn't financially or mentally able to sustain it anymore. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, we have this community of incredible individuals who are all doing their best to share their art and live their purpose fully. And uh, I just feel like the financial system right now is uh, it's broken for a lot of people. And a lot of people, you know, have financial debt from schooling and uh, are, you know, sitting at desk jobs that they don't want to do anymore and not living their truth fully because, you know, we have this system that says that you have to, you know, work your nine to five and, uh, you know, (laughs) do, do things that are what I would call uh, I don't know, remedial, you know, they're, mm-hmm. they're just not, they're monotonous and they're not bringing forth the, the true nature of what it means to be an individual. And then we do have people who have found out, you know, ways of being sustainable. Um, people like myself who are doing our best to, you know, bring that light to the environment, bring that light to the community. And, um, yeah, it's just a challenging position to be in because I feel like, uh, we, we really need to unite. We really need to bring forth a deeper um, persistence to how we can build these communities that are more so built on uh, how we can bring forth harmony with our ecosystem, with the environments that we live in, more composting, um, more like actual like harvesting of plants and harvesting of plants that we're growing ourselves and like I I really like I'm a big supporter of the hippie commune and I'm kind of at this space now where I'm like you know how can we build a sustainable hippie commune where we're actually producing you know renewable energy for the grid where we're producing you know fruits and vegetables that are you know natural and pesticide free and where we're producing an abundance of art and um, really conscious writings and really conscious ways to help others break out of this, you know, <laughs> the brick wall, you know, the the matrix. And so that's where I'm at right now. And that's been my biggest challenge right now. That's what I want to talk about. <laughs> well, I see a lot of exciting projects in your future. And um, if anybody can motivate the people to rally behind something um, ground shaking like that, then it's someone like you for sure. I think I understand what you're what you're getting at now with this question. How can we adapt to create and evolve to sustain? And it's a multifaceted question with certainly a complex answer as well. Mm-hmm. What one piece of advice would you give to someone who is, you know, toiling away at that nine to five job that doesn't feed their heart, doesn't feed their soul, but they feel that they have to do it out of some sort of obligation to to meet their financial needs or even, um, out of some sort of, uh, you know, emotional sense of obligation to do the, the right job. 
Yeah, I would say that the first thing to do is to truly reflect and take the time to look back and see if what you are currently doing is serving you. It's serving your happiness. Is it serving, you know, your longevity? Is it helping you become the best version of yourself? And really take the time to be present with who you are right now and who you wish to become. Because I feel that we have to have a vision for where we wish to go to truly allow ourselves to become more mindful in the present. And when that happened for me, when, you know, I had the opportunity to be taken out of my comfort zone of my desk job and uh, go to the yoga journal conference, I was aware of how these, you know, yoga teachers who were activists, who were, you know, thought leaders, who were truly taking life by the reins and living that uncomfortability of making your own sustainability on a day-to-day basis, making your own livelihood, and also bringing happiness to so many people. And I saw it in their eyes that they were living their purpose. And I was like, I can be like that. I know I can do that. And really taking the time, the effort, the persistence, the practice to be able to live a purposeful life is a courageous thing to do. And I think that that is why we are yogis because we have the tools to do it. Amazing. Amazing. (laughs) Andrew, what have you got coming up that you'd like to share with our listeners? Anything from retreats or, um, you know, extra special podcast episodes maybe that you've got in the pipe? What would you like to share? Well, uh, first off, as it is the thing that's coming up, and we have two more spots open for a retreat that's happening in Lebanon. Um, it's a yoga dance impact retreat with my great friend Vandana Hart, who is an activist and a UN correspondent and absolutely incredible dancer. She's also the founder of We Speak Dance, and we're doing this retreat specifically to bring absolutely epic human beings outside of their comfort zone into the magic of Lebanon, which happens to be one of the oldest uh, spaces for ancient civilizations. We're going to go to Biblios, which has gorgeous ruins. We're going to be on the coast of uh, what would be known as like the Paris of the Middle East. And we're going to have the opportunity to give back to the refugees and the children who have been separated from their families um, due to, you know, governmental workings and we're going to give them happiness and love and joy. And we're going to go to those spaces and really bring forth what it means to be a yogi. And I feel that, um, as yogis today, more now than ever, it means giving love to others, being of service to others. And, um, we here in America have it so beautiful, even with our crazy governmental ties and all kinds of presidential BS that's going on right now. Um, We are lucky to have freedom and we're lucky to have clean air and we're lucky to have clean water. And um, it's a blessing to to be living in this present time where we have the opportunity to travel. So um, yeah, if you want to come on an epic adventure with me, let me know. Um, You can check out the website. It's yogadanceimpact.com. Um, or you can contact me directly at andrew7seely at gmail.com. Super simple. Um, another thing that I have coming up that I'm super stoked for is um, I'm building out a whole entire program with my great friend, Nimai Delgado. That's um, called Yoga for Fitness, and it's going to be living on the Vegan Fitness channel. Um, it's a program that's directed towards anyone who's ready to start their yoga journey. And, um, you know, may have had a fitness background or may just be looking to get back into shape. Um, It's really just an entry level yoga practice for anyone who wants to try. And um, I'm offering that. It's going to be online at uh, veganfitness.com. Should be coming out pretty soon. And uh, yeah, just be in contact with me. Uh, Oh, ooh, epic episode. Check out the Yoga Revealed podcast because I interviewed Sean Korn. And it answers a lot of the questions um, that I've had around, uh, you know, what's going on in the world today and how we as yogis can make a positive impact um, from a place of, you know, being able to teach classes um, that really bring 
our students into a space of knowing that they are empowered and that they can make a difference in their communities. Beautiful. We'll put the links for all of those exciting upcoming events in the show notes. Uh, is that new program, the Yoga for Fitness, is, is that out already or is that upcoming? It's upcoming. Okay. It will be out within the next two to three weeks. So uh, be on Okay, the so maybe it. it'll be out by the time this episode airs. Awesome. <laughs> Cool. Well, let's finish up with the, the prana round. I end all the episodes with a series of rapid fire questions and can't let you go without answering them. Let's get Six the prana questions. pumping. <laughs> let's get the prana pumping. It's throbbing. Here we go. In one word, why do you practice yoga? Love. What's your favorite yoga pose and why? Mm. Ooh, that's a good one. I'm going to say Shavasana because honestly, it's challenging, it's confronting, but it's so rejuvenating and revealing. I find the the deepest, uh, yeah, I, I know these are supposed to be short answered, but I find the <laughs> deepest resonance in Shavasana. When I come out of a good Shavasana, I'm like, shit, the world's different. This is different now. You know, I'm seeing through new yeah, eyes. Yeah. The world is okay. Mm -hmm. Everything is okay. What's, what's the single best piece of advice that you've ever received from a yoga teacher? Ooh, breathe. <laughs> breathe. Yeah. Breathe. Yeah. Breathe. <laughs> yeah. Um, breathe and everything's changing um, is really one of the one that resonates with me most. And that was from Sean Korn. And she's like my yoga mama. I absolutely adore her. And she just, she's, she's like, she's my yoga mama. Can't say anything more. Um, but that, that line I remember from her class that she taught in San Diego, the first time that I took a, you know, vinyasa yoga class with her. And it just made so much more sense to why we practice yoga, because when you really do breathe, you realize that everything is changing and that the thing that is a constant is your breath. Recommend one book, either modern or ancient, for our listeners. Ooh. Light on Life. Light on Life by BKS Iyengar will put life into perspective. <laughs> Great book. Great book. Is yoga for everyone? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Last question for you, Andrew. How can our audience get in touch with you and how can we support you and your dharma? Wow. Um, best way to get in touch with me is probably, yeah, I would say through email, andrew7seely at gmail.com. Um, also, if you're looking to touch base with daily inspiration, check out my stories, see what I'm doing on a day-to-day -day basis, my Instagram, andrew7seely. Um, yeah. And I would say the best way that you can support me is to continue to be the best version of yourself and support your community. If you see me as part of your community, then reach out and let's make some magic together because I'm always open to traveling the world, to seeing new spaces and to sharing my heart with lots of smiling faces. So let's keep it going. Let's light up this world together. Let's live light and shine bright truly in all that we do. Thank you for everything that you're doing, Andrew. This was a lot of fun to, to catch up with you. We got to do it in person real soon. Yes, I would love to, Henry. Honestly, a blessing to see you blossoming into the magic that you're creating. And I'm so happy to be on your podcast because we need more of this. We need more of yogis really coming together, having conversations that matter and sharing them with the world. And that doesn't mean that you just have to have a podcast that could be in, you know, creating a dinner series that could be in, you know, creating a space for just a few friends to gather and to have conversations around consciousness and around why we're here and what we're doing and just to be a support of the community. So I really appreciate what you're doing and I'm happy to see you thrive and so excited to give you a hug when you're here in LA. <laughs> yes, it's a, it's a promise. We'll make it happen. Thank yeah, you, Andrew. I'll cook you some bomb <laughs> vegan food too. <laughs> Dharma Talkers, I hope you enjoyed listening to that conversation as much as I enjoyed having it. And if you did, please share it. 
take a screenshot, share it on Instagram, and tag me at Henry Wins. I love hearing from you about the conversations that make an impact for you. We have the ability to shape the world through our thoughts, words, and conversation. So let's influence the collective consciousness together. All my gratitude to Rory Wagstaff of Ease of Mind Productions for keeping our audio crisp and operations smooth, and to Patrick Kiebzak of Momentology Music and Art for supplying the powerful soundtrack to these conversations. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and review, and tune in to new episodes of Dharma Talk every Thursday. I'll speak to you next week, and until then, keep living your Dharma.